Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi everybody and welcome home. For the past few years, we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home a place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility, and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Qur'an, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha fissama' That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the Hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus Salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas, that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots community space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Assalamualaikum. Welcome home, everybody. It's, hap- it's, uh, it's amazing to see everybody here. How many of you are from out of town for the Miftah conference? Wow, mashallah. Okay. Welcome, welcome, alhamdulillah. Welcome to Roots. Uh, this, this is your home away from home, inshallah, if you're ever in Dallas. 
Um, as I, as we, you know, have been saying, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a work in progress, as you can see, it's not finished, but, uh, inshallah, thanks for the one person who left. Uh, <laughs> but then when we do finish, inshallah, then, you know, we'll be happy to have a cup of coffee waiting for you, inshallah, um, for you to enjoy during our session, inshallah, inshallah. Um, Ramadan is three months away. May Allah Ta'ala give us Ramadan. Uh, two weeks, sorry. Did I say three months? Two weeks, Sorry. It's been a long day, guys. It's been a long day. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, but you know, we need three months of like, we need like the equivalent of three months of preparation, subhanAllah. You know, Ramadan, the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu were so, were so Ramadan-centric. Their entire year focused around Ramadan at some capacity. You had the, the Ramadan itself, you had the six months after where they were asking Allah to accept the previous Ramadan. And then you had at the six month point, they would start making dua for the next one. It just shows you the value of Ramadan. When you're literally thinking about it every day of the year, whether it's, oh Allah, like accept it, or oh Allah, give me the next one. When something is on your mind and heart that much, like you really have to take time out and, and you really have to plan for it. We spend a lot of time planning for things that are a lot less important. Um, you know, I know people, <laughs> I know good brothers, they're good people, uh, but they would drive, you know, on the weekend, they were single, so they had, you know, not a lot of responsibilities as far as, you know, responsibilities. Uh, and, they, and they would just drive to random places for food, like they would literally drive from Dallas to Houston to go eat dinner, and then drive back, right? And I didn't know, like, they didn't take Burak, like they weren't riding this animal. They were driving there, and then they would drive, I think one weekend they went to Memphis, Tennessee, which is seven hours away to get barbecue, okay? And then they went to all these places. The reason why I'm saying this, these examples is not to humi humiliate these people, but it is to show that when you really care about something, like you will, you will sacrifice, you will literally go to the ends of the earth or Texas to get something that you want. And so for Ramadan, it's, you know, I really want to take a moment here before we dive into the next ayat of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, where I want to just remind everybody here, like, you know, there are people out there that thought they would have another and then they're not alive right now. There are people that, that, you know, they're out there that they thought they would have another and maybe their practice of Islam just disappeared from their heart. Um, so don't, don't go into another Ramadan thinking that this is just another Ramadan. Like really approach this as if it's like, this is it, right? This is it. Um, and when you do that, instantly things change. Your planning changes, your strategizing changes, your focus changes. Um, and so right now, you know, two, three weeks left, start setting some goals, start thinking about what you want to become, set goals with your spirituality, set goals with your devotion, right? Set goals that are good for you, that are attainable for you. We're going to have the last heart work session before Ramadan, we're going to, we're going to talk about Ramadan specifically, but you need to start thinking about these things now, inshallah. We all do. May Allah Ta'ala give us a good Ramadan, inshallah. Um, and, 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 and the sad thing is we become so in the habit of starting late in this planning that we really don't hit momentum until like the last 10 nights. But you can feel the last 10 nights and the first 10 nights if you start earlier, right? That's why Rajab and Sha'ban are there. And that's why the hadith talk about like people fasting in Rajab and the Prophet Sallallahu fasting in Sha'ban because it was a momentum builder. That way the first of Ramadan, it's not like, oh my God, like I have a headache all day, I can't move. Or, oh, taraweeh, like I forgot, you know? It was like, oh, I've been praying Qiyam for the last five, six nights. 
and now I'm ready. Like I have that momentum. Um, and it's, it's sad. You only have 30 nights. So don't lose one of them, right? Don't lose one of them. Set some goals for yourself. Some of the goals that I, I encourage people to set are like not letting a single night go by without dua. Like every night you have dua. Five minutes, 50 minutes, whatever. In between, you just sit by yourself in your room, wherever you get privacy. You have wudu, you sit towards the qibla, you pray to rakah, right? And then you sit after that. And then you make dua every night. And then the other goals that I tell people are obviously fajr every morning, inshallah. If, you, if you're up for suhoor, you should be up for fajr. And then if you can make it to the masjid. Masjid Fajr Ramadan is like a is like a pro tip. It's like a hack. It instantly improves your day. It automatically adds barakah to your life. Because the entire time that you are on the road to and from, you're getting all these blessings, right? And there's an elect group of people. Men and women both. Everybody should go to the masjid for Fajr for Ramadan, inshallah. Okay, let's save that for the for the for the next session. It's been on my mind a lot, so I just wanted to share with you guys. Okay. One thing we do want to do in Ramadan, segue is not be hypocrites. So let's talk about the hypocrites, okay? Uh, so we know now, Allah Ta'ala said, These people have a sickness in their heart. One thing that I forgot to mention last week that I want to mention this week is that when you look at the diseases that are going to be mentioned, they are growing, okay? They are growing. And this is one of the sunnahs of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. One of His ways that He created the earth is that when a person is striving for Allah, he makes it easier, okay? Allah Ta'ala, he facilitates, he gives taysir to people who try. So you try to do the right thing, and Allah Ta'ala will make it easier. By the way, that doesn't mean that he'll make it easier, but he'll make it easier for you. So you try to do the right thing, it may not become easier, but you become stronger. So does it become easier? It does, right? Net easier, okay? So the thing itself is still as difficult as it was, but now you have himma, now you have strength, and now you have irada, you have desire. And now, you know, respectively, it's become easier. The other side of the coin is that when a person engages in haram, and their heart falls in love with haram, and that's all they want to do, haram becomes easier as well. That's why when you lie the first time, you get nervous, you start to sweat, your pupils dilate, like you, you, you're looking over your shoulder. You're wondering if people are going to find out. Every text message or email you get when you've lied about something, you're like worried, right? You're not at rest, okay? There's too many people nodding. Everyone knows what this feels like? Everyone's like, yeah, we're all pathological liars. Just kidding, I lied. Uh, so, and then the next time you lie, and the next time you lie, and the next time you lie, it just gets easier and easier and easier. That's a sign that the heart can also become stronger in evil. So, this is an example of the latter. This is an example of what happens when people don't regulate themselves, when they don't check themselves spiritually, then there's no, there's no stopping it. You know, the nafs is this, has this insatiable appetite. So the first thing was that these people, they try to deceive Allah. They do things and then they don't ever think to themselves, like, is this hurting me? Is this bad for me? Is this something that's not good for my soul? And then they'll try to find loopholes. Okay, well, maybe it's okay if I do this. Maybe it's okay if I do that, right? They'll try to find loopholes. They'll try to deceive Allah. And then Allah says, look, in the end, you're only deceiving yourself. That's the reality. Then number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when it is told to them, That these people, when they are told, don't spread corruption, don't ruin the earth, right? Both we talked about environmentally, we talked about agriculturally, we talked about in terms of like dietary ruining, but also just ruining the earth in general, right? 
they respond by saying, no, 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 we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. The power of this verse, subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala then says what? These people are actually destroying the earth, but they have no idea. You know what that means? It means that they have become sincerely twisted, like sincerely flipped, right? They, their, their misguidance is on another level. They think they're going the right way the whole time, right? They genuinely believe that because their heart is so sick, they don't know north from south. It's like using Apple Maps. Like you just think you're going the right way and then you end up and it's just like an empty field, right? And you're like, this isn't, you know, Target. So... The reality is, and that's the worst part about it, is what? Is that you think that you're fine, okay? This is also an important point for us to stop and think about something very important, which is what kinds of things do we celebrate? What kinds of things do we put out and appreciate, okay? What kinds of things, let me translate it. What kinds of things do we favor on Instagram? What kinds of things do we share? Do we think about the impact of the images that we share? Do we think about the things that we like and retweet? Do we think to the next level, beyond something that's just funny or cute, or things that we think are you know, good? It, SubhanAllah, I've dealt with people that they were so addicted to pornography that they were unable to find beauty in natural creation. Unable to. Do you, know what I, do you know what I'm saying when I say unable to? It wasn't a choice anymore. It was no longer a decision. It wasn't about weighing it out and choosing. It was what their body was able to recognize. Right now, Allah Ta'ala is merciful, so things are reversible. That's a bar, by the way. Okay? <laughs> he is, and things are. But it's not easy. If you dig a ditch for 10 years, 20 years, you got to get out still, Right? If you push a boulder in one direction for 10 years, you don't just automatically go back to the point where you started. You have to move things back. Tawbah helps. It accelerates that process, but it still requires work. You know, there were some companions that when they accepted Islam, they accepted the Prophet ﷺ wholeheartedly. They said that we believe, absolutely, but they still struggled sometimes. Accepting belief didn't hit the reset button automatically. It required work. They struggled with alcohol. They struggled with fornication. They struggled with you know, financial uh, uh, you know, misdemeanors and doing things incorrectly. They struggled with these things. So don't ever fall prey to your own nefs and the negligence of your own soul thinking that I can just stop when I want to. That I can just stop when I want to. Because what you're risking is losing your moral compass. Imagine not being able to know which way is north. North for us is to Allah. Imagine not knowing which way is the straight path. You know, when we commit sins now, we know that they're wrong, yeah? Like when we do something wrong, we know. And we're like, you know, you get shy, you get embarrassed, okay? You're looking at the clock, you're like, I, I know I should pray. I know I should pray, but I need to watch, you know, the Cowboys lose. I know I should pray, but I'm, but I'm engrossed in this or like this and that. We know. There's a point where a person does this so repeatedly and so habitually that it doesn't even register any longer, right? Think about the things that you used to be very concerned about doing and think, are you as concerned about those things now or have they become normative? Have they just become something a part of your personality? So that's one thing. The second thing is that when we appreciate or encourage something, the Prophet ﷺ taught us, مَنْ ala khairi kafa'ilihi, That the one who... Uh, helps lead somebody to do something good, then they get the reward as well. 
Okay, so if somebody asks you like, hey, where's the masjid? You're like, oh, it's that way. Well, guess what? Even if you already prayed, then when that person prays, you get the reward because you literally guided them towards goodness. Or if somebody doesn't know what to do and you teach them in a situation, hey, can I donate? Or hey, can I help out? Or whatever. And you, and you teach them. The Prophet says, you share in their reward. They don't lose anything and you get a copy of it. It's great. This is why people are so excited to like give books and Quran and, 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 and gifts, especially to those people who are learning or studying or becoming Muslim, because they know that this is a really, really good investment, right? It's 100% return. Imagine if you had 100% return on your investment, you would do it instantly, right? So the Prophet is saying this, but what we learn, and especially when you study like hadith and things, you learn that there, the opposite can also be true. That whoever leads towards good, they share in that. But whoever leads towards, whoever leads towards evil, bad, they also share in that. And so we have to think for a moment. We celebrate our wins, right? And I'm all about that. You guys know that. This isn't like fire and brimstone, doom and gloom. Heart work is not about that. We, you know, we tap in once in a while to get us right. But I want us to think for a moment. This is one of those moments. We get really excited when we teach someone something right. When have we taught someone something wrong? Have they stopped? Do you think they're still doing it? That language that we use, that they heard from our lips, do you think they're still saying those words? Have we thought about that? Like, have we become concerned? Right? The thing that I saw them do that I knew wasn't good for their faith, but I celebrated it anyways. Right? We don't have to celebrate everything. We don't have to like everything. You know what I mean? If I see, like Humayun, I'm going to pick on you, I'm sorry. I love you so much. If I see Humayun doing something online that I know is un-Islamic, I know it. I don't have to call him out. I'm not, a, I'm not part of the call-out crew. I don't like that. I don't have to comment and be like, Astaghfirullah, right? Brother, please DM me instantly for a fatwa. Like, that, I don't believe that that is, I don't believe it's, I don't believe it's practical. I don't believe it works. I don't think that's how Nasiha works, okay? And I think if you do that, you're actually just ruining any, like you're basically making a mockery of yourself and like no one actually cares. And if you think that people are gonna listen to you shouting into Twitter and like trying to call out everybody, like that's, you know what? That's not prophetic. It's not the prophet so some work. Did he just go stand on the mountain stuff on Marwa and just start yelling at everybody? All you kuffar are gonna go to hell, right? That's not what he did. He did that one time because Allah told him to. But his method, his sunnah was going to people and talking, and working, and working on them, right? Now, if you're too lazy to work on people, then just be quiet. Like, if you don't have the energy to, like, be creative in your advice, then just don't give anything, right? But if you do have the energy and sincerity to work on people, and to not destroy them, you know, but to renovate, then you can, you can make a move, okay? So if I comment on Humayun's picture, and I'm like, you know, Stuck for a love, bro, this and that. But I also want to be careful not just to be like, let me like this because we're, we're friends. I, I might have to withhold the like. I know that that's like declaration of war <laughs> in social media, but like I might have to withhold that. I might have to not share that. I, I still love you. But if you share something that has profanity or it has lewdness or it has... And I know that the Prophet Sallallahu wouldn't be happy. I, when I'm scrolling through my feed on, on, on the, in Jannah and I roll across this and the Prophet Sallallahu like, what's that? I don't want to be embarrassed in front of the Messenger of Allah, right? But I don't have to call him out, but I definitely don't have to share it, right? So remember that if a person falls prey to their own negligence about being careful, okay, having caution, eventually, is she okay? 
Okay. Eventually, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. I just have a kid, you know. I just, eventually, I eventually we we will become somebody that we literally our hearts will not be able to distinguish between right and wrong, and we will think that we're doing something good, right? We will think that we're doing something good. I share something inappropriate, and people like it, and they say, "Oh, I'm supporting my friend," but you don't like that's not actually good, right? We have to make better choices. Where you put your your capital, your spiritual capital, okay? So then they say, Now how do you recalibrate yourself if you've kind of fallen off? Number one is good friends. Number one is good company. You will. Has anyone here ever had like a friend that made them better? Okay. There's like six of you. I know that everyone here has friends. <laughs> I, listen, you guys didn't walk in alone, okay? Tell me a story, share a story right now about a friend that made you better. I actually have a story that I'll share. Go ahead, yeah. Um, What's your name, first of all? Uh, Tarawat. What was it? Tarawat. Tarawat, okay. Yes. Um, I actually had a friend in high school. Um, I didn't wear like, my hijab. Uh-huh. Does she know that? Um, she does, actually. She does, okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, you don't realize the impact you have. Just words, right? Now, again, you guys were friends, right? So, like, tonight, brothers, sisters, don't just look for the first person that you see who's not doing something. Like, hey, you know, you heard the story, right? You know, here's a gift card to Target. You know, like, but, but realize the, 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 the setting was set. It was fine for you, Okay. But again, it's just, it's just like a, a gentle nudge, you know? Very good, mashallah. Allah reward you and her. Yeah. Like <laughs> salam. Mm-hmm. Because I said women's and I just wanted to put it out. Like, gotcha. Like gotcha, okay. So, after we finished praying um, and doing adkar and everything, she was uh, just out of the blue. She was like, Sundar, do you do, you do um, the adkar, uh, like the extra adkar after the three subhanahu wa ta'ala? Mm-hmm. I found myself, and subhanAllah, I found myself like after like doing 
There you go. MashaAllah. Beautiful. May Allah reward you and her. Anyone have a story of a friend that helped without like a, like a verbal nudge? Like you just observed something. Yeah, we'll take some brothers. Yeah. You just threw in casually that this was in Turkey. <laughs> you're like, in college, you're like, yeah, I went out, you know, in Turkey. Okay, mashallah. Yeah. So this guy used to walk all the way up to, like, it was a huge campus, and we have to walk all the way to the our masjid in the university, and used to pray there. And every time he was outside, he used to always try to pray in the, in the masjid. And I didn't understand why it wasn't his own heart. Like, it, like it, it has, he has to go all the way, like, let's say, walk at least a kilometer or maybe more just to get to a masjid. We're in America, yeah. so how, how much time would the kilometer take? Like, like 15 minutes? 20? Yeah, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah I know, I'm joking with that. I'm joking. So, so because, of his, uh, because I was hanging out with him, I used to uh, join him as well. And after some time, I got used to it, and I started loving it. Oh, so ever since after that, alhamdulillah, like, I, 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 I kind of uh, got a feeling of I need to be in the match at least once in a day, or at least like, mm. in the and I feel really bad. And I've just realized that this habit is started with a friend. Allah. Allah. That's amazing. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Allah word you guys. Go ahead. Um, my name is Hareem and my friend is sitting right next to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. We didn't plan this. I swear to God. Yeah. Amazing. Can you give lessons, inshallah, so we can all love ourselves and be comfortable? <laughs> you know, and, and I love everyone's examples. Jazakumul khairan. I love everyone's examples because everyone's examples matter and they count, of course. And they all have deep, like, I mean, like, starting to wear the hijab, like, remembering your ethkar after salah, going to the masjid every day. These are all powerful examples. Sometimes, if, if you surround yourself with the right people, like, you don't even need them to teach you verbally or directly. Right? Like you can just witness it. And that's exactly like a part of what everyone sort of saw was that there was a, a little bit of witnessing. I can tell her story because she's a family friend of ours. Amy, you guys remember Amy? She was, mashallah, she's a part of the Roots team. She used to work in development and you know, she was here for like two years handing out food to everybody. She was the Roots mom for a long time. Uh, her husband started traveling a lot, you know, uh, so she has to stay home with the kids uh, while he's you know, traveling for work, so she can't be here. But I remember she told me a story and this is a really powerful story. Last year, uh, she and a friend were at North Park Mall, which is a mall that's nearby. And there was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was like a, an active shooter uh, warning that came out at North Park Mall. And um, so she was there, and she was there with one of her friends. And when the active shooter warning came out, they went to protocol, and everyone had to go to a nearby area, take shelter. And they were, I think, in a coffee shop or something, and she said that we basically had to hide under these tables. Later, they found out that there was no, alhamdulillah, active shooter. I think it was something that fell, and it hit the ground really hard, and it sounded like a gunshot. But I know I just ruined the whole story. But think, in their minds, there's a shooter. Okay, it's very scary, of course. If anyone's ever been in a situation like that, it's like you're, just, you're basically floored at the idea, how could this be me? So she's there, and she's, she's telling me this story. And she's saying, I was there with my friend, and I was just worried about, like, 
you know, oh my God, how am I gonna die like this? And just thinking all these thoughts, very rapid, you know, like worried thoughts. And she looks over to her friend and her friend is saying, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, over and over and over again. And she's like, if I would have been there with anybody else, there's no way that that would have crossed my mind. Like if I were there by myself, I was thinking about, I still have more shopping to do, like what's going on? If I'm there, if I'm there with another friend, they may have not been the person, but I'm looking at my friend and I'm seeing under her breath, not like she's not like, la ilaha illallah, everyone in Nordstrom chant with me. She just says, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha And then Amy starts saying it, right? And I remember as she was telling me this story, she was getting like goosebumps and she's like, if that were my last moment, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever their last statement is La ilaha illallah, dakhla al-jannah. They will go to jannah. And she said, when I thought of that hadith and I was saying these words, I wasn't scared anymore. This is the power of good friendship. Good friendship has tiered layers. It's learning, it's modeling. And then it's, when, it, when it falls upon your heart, it like changes your being, right? So be a good friend and you'll have good friends. Many of us are like, well, how do I have good friends? Be a good friend. When you start to act in good character towards your friends, it creates an ecosystem of goodness. And the friends will start to, they'll start to mimic that and they'll start to perpetuate that, inshallah. So number one, how do you make sure that you fall away from this? Have good friends. Number two is, and this is very important, be open to feedback. Many of us, you know, like uh, the sisters, you mentioned your stories. People are telling you to do something and many of us just shut down at the first at the first sign of somebody guide, uh, guiding or advising us. Hey, can I tell you something? Oh, I'm busy, all right? Hey, can I, can I offer some advice or can I do this? We shut down instantly. This is exactly what the hypocrites do. The hypocrites are being told something and instead of listening and appreciating and saying, you know what, this is actually true, then they just come right back and they say, no, not only is it not true, what you're saying is exactly the opposite. We're actually the good people here. Right? So with good friends, and then you have to be open to taking criticism. And the third thing is, become very, very comfortable admitting your mistakes. Become very comfortable admitting your mistakes. Almost to the point where you start to find, and again, I'm not trying to create like internal paranoia. You start to find that even in moments where you did things okay, you could have done it better. Right? Like you're okay with a little bit of self-criticism. You know what? I was good to my sister, but I wasn't the best to her. I was good to my mom and dad, but I, I could have done better. And realizing that, because as soon as you start to realize that, then you'll actually start to actuate on those ideas. And this is how we fight some of this, mentioned in the tafsir of, the, of this disease of hypocrisy. Okay, the next thing here. What's mentioned? The next disease, the next stage. Now the disease goes from private to public. And this is the scary thing. You can hide who you really are for so long. My mom told me this, I'll never forget. She said, when you commit a sin, realize that Allah gives you a very long time to repent and a very long time to turn, turn, back, turn your back on the sin and come back to him. But she said, when a person becomes comfortable with sinning and they don't repent and they don't change, eventually part of the weight of that sin is that it becomes no longer, it's inconceivable. It no longer is, it be, it's no longer hidden. It cannot be hidden. We use language around friends and then eventually it slips and we use it in front of our parents or our respected people that we don't want to use that language in front of, right? We, 
do something around people that we're comfortable with and then eventually we slip and we do it in front of people that we're not comfortable with or strangers with. So what do these people say? And when they are told, believe as others believe. So when the hypocrites are reminded, they say, you really want us to believe like those fools? Those foolish people believed? So they've been hiding this internally their whole time. They've been looking at people practicing. They've been looking at people giving sadaqah and they're saying, what fools? They should put it in crypto, right? Why are you giving sadaqah? You should be buying NFTs, right? Or they've been looking at people praying and they're like, wow, they're just wasting their time. They need to you know, do this or that. They've been looking at people doing things the right way, trying to do their best not to like date before marriage and try to get married the right way. I know it's hard. May Allah Ta'ala give us strength. Do things the right way. And they say like, well, this is old. This is dumb. This is old fashioned, right? Like, just come on. What's the big deal, right? What's the difference between dating and marriage? Come on, just, you know, the difference is ijab and qabul is, is that Allah Ta'ala has sanctified one of them, Right? It's like the difference between eating something, you know, before saying Bismillah and not, is that it becomes blessed or not blessed. SubhanAllah. So they start to then articulate that not only do they not want to be a part of it, now they start to lob these attacks onto whoever's doing it, and they're calling these people foolish, and they're saying that these people are misguided, and they're not knowledgeable, and they're unintelligent. And if we're not careful, this disease can be something that almost like shuts the door. Okay. If you look at the modern era and you look at how religion has been seen, anyone here grow up watching The Simpsons? Okay. Someone, okay, wow, I'm really old. Okay, maybe you tell me, right, if there's an example of this. In The Simpsons, how was religion represented? You guys remember? Ned Flanders, right? Negatively. What was Ned Flanders? Well, yeah, Christian, yeah, but... What was he? A weirdo. He was a weirdo. He was. He was a creep. And, 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 and you know, they, they looked over. His wife was hypocritical. His kids were foolish. They were like, they couldn't think for themselves. Okay? And Ned himself was just like this dude living off in La La Land. Right? So, without realizing it, we're watching these shows and we think they're so funny and hilarious. And sometimes they can be funny, right? But, without realizing it, we're being fed this, this content... That's causing us to feel, right, even subconsciously, that like, you know what, religion makes people dumb, right? And even in society, I mean, like, the smartest people that are celebrated, right, on Reddit and whatever, are people who have open, active stances against religion. And it's almost impossible to find, it's like a wonderful moment when you find an intelligent person, a scientist, like a Nobel Prize winner, who actually has, like, a theist basis, like, they actually have this religion, so we have to be very careful that we don't start to fall into the trap of what? Well, it's just an imam who said that. It's just a sheikh. It's just, you know, who was Imam Bukhari anyways? Who was Ibn Kathir anyways? And they start to downgrade all of these beautiful sources that we have in our religion. Because why? Well, you know, I did, I am a JD. Like I did go to law school, right? Or I am, I am, I have an MBA from, from U of Chicago. Or I have this, or I'm a doctor, this and that. I mean, you'd be shocked. You know, there was a person one time, subhanAllah, I was sitting with him at a dinner, and he said to me, you know when people try to compliment you, but then they try to, dis they try to disrespect everybody else that you're associated with by complimenting you? I'll tell you what he did. He said, you know what, Imam Murphy? He said, I like you. Whenever anyone starts like that, it's about to get bad real fast. <laughs> he goes, I like you. I said, okay. I didn't say thank you. I also didn't say I like you too. I said, okay. And he goes, 
I like, I like the way you think. I like the way you teach. I think you're a good imam. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Okay? He goes, but every other imam I've met, every maulana, every alam, they are just nothing. And he just like, like with, the, with the flip of his little hand, just waved off the entire tradition of Islamic studies. They're just nothing. And then after insulting like everybody that I love, right? And, and, and everyone that I revere and I respect with just that. Mm-hmm. He says, why can't they be more like you? You see how he's doing this? You see how he's manipulating my nafs? No, wallahi, you see how he's manipulating my nafs? He's trying to basically like put me up and then say, why can't people be more like you? Right? Where are the scholars like you? Blah, blah, blah. Where are this and that? So I see his son. It sounds like 10 years old. And I say, is your son pretty smart? And he goes, yeah. And I say, oh, good, mashallah. What do you aspire for your son to be? He goes, inshallah, doctor just like me. I said, would you ever send your son to study Islam? He said, no way. So there's your answer. Your answer is that you think religion is for stupid people. And you would never sacrifice your son, the next great doctor in the world, for the sake of trying to dedicate that individual to becoming a scholar to serve the deen of Muhammad sallallahu When you look at the stories of people like Imam Malik, and you see Imam Malik, his mother raised him by herself. She was a single mother. And she used to get him ready every day for school by herself. And he would go study with the likes of, you know, Abdullah bin Mubarak and others. And he would go study with them. And she would get him ready for school. And I'm doing this now with my kids. I'm getting them ready for school. And she would like get his clothes on and she would wrap his turban. A little boy, eight years old. And she would send him off miles to go study hadith of the Prophet And he became what? He became, literally they call him Imam Al-Madina. They call him the Imam of Medina because he lived and taught hadith in the Prophet's masjid for the rest of his life. If we inherently believe that religious studies, religious people, gaining knowledge is something foolish, then that lack of reverence will will cause us to fall so far away from Islam that we will never be able to even recognize it. The number one step to becoming someone who practices Islam with beauty is to respect it. Even if you can't do it, to respect it. You know, they say, become a scholar. And if you can't, at least love them. At least love the people of knowledge, right? And I'm not a scholar, so don't love me. What I'm saying is, when you read these names and you read these books of tafsir, don't just read them like they're your peer. Don't read these books like, oh, it's just like me, I could have written this book. No, this person gave decades, decades of their life. You know, Sheikh Abdel Nasser, he's not here so I can talk about him. People don't, no, no, in a good way, right? People don't realize the kind of sacrifices he made, dude. Mufti Kamani, do you guys know Mufti Kamani? Mufti Kamani, by the way, is your favorite speaker's favorite speaker, right? Literally, that guy, mashallah. Mufti Kamani, his mom put him on a plane when he was seven years old, and he didn't come back to America until he was 18. He studied for a decade while you guys were playing Nintendo DS. He was in Pakistan buying, or in, 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 in England, basically Pakistan, right? He was in England. <laughs> Buying, buying Pepsi in a bottle with 50 pence on a Friday for Juma. Like that, he literally was like Oliver Twist, the Muslim edition, right? Just like asking for more porridge, you know? Like that was him. No, he told the stories. He's like, dude, I used to cry on Eid because my parents were all the way in America. Everyone else went home to like wherever they were from, Manchester, Sheffield, Exeter, London, Birmingham. They went home and there was a group of Americans, us three, we used to sit there and cry. We used to play cards and eat Parla G cookies for Eid. Right? Do you know how painful that was for him? Do you know how painful it was for his mother? But now look at the thousands of people 
that he's impacting. And his mother passed away four years ago. May Allah have mercy on her. And one conversation we had, <laughs> we were laying next to each other at Hajj, and he's crying. <laughs> I hope he doesn't watch this. <laughs> he was crying <laughs> like a baby because he misses his mom. And he literally had his, he had his head on my shoulder. And he was saying, you know, like, I wish I could just do more for her. And I remember telling him, you are what she wanted. Like you studying, teaching, learning, giving back, telling people about their deen. This is what your mom wanted. She goes, I wish I could do something for her as a sadiqa jariya. I said, you are a sadiqa jariya. And it was only when we had that conversation that he like, was like, oh my God. Like he like, it clicked, right? The greatness that these people can do and that you can do starts with what? The respect and reverence his mom had for this deen. Why would a mother ever send her seven-year-old overseas to study if she didn't love this religion? Why would that even happen? Sheikh Abdel Nasser, same story, right? His mom, he always tells it kind of funny. He's like, my mom was happy to get rid of me. <laughs> I can tell you in no world, no matter how much you think your parents don't like you, in no world is it easy for that to happen. I mean, my daughter goes to school for two hours a day and I'm like looking at the clock, waiting for her to come home. Right, my son, I pick him up, I'm happier than him. So parents sending halfway across the world to memorize Quran, impossible. So we don't have to become the most knowledgeable, we don't have to become like all the scholars, that's fine. We can be people that just appreciate it, but the biggest thing that we can do is love and respect this entire process. Just like when someone walks in here and they say, I'm a doctor who graduated from Yale Med School, everyone's like, Tabir, right? Like we lose our minds. Or if a celebrity converts to Islam, Right, I'm doing an event with Trevor Noah in a couple weeks and someone goes, unna uh, he will go unnamed. He's like, bro, convert him to Islam, right? <laughs> I don't know if I got that kind of power, but it's natural. Like if we found out right now LeBron converted to Islam, everyone would get up and leave hard work right now and just drive to LA to go make the waffle around the Staples Center. Like they would just become so excited, right? And it's okay. It's okay to have excitement for when people become Muslim. And when people, you know, it's, it's nice, especially people who have impact and all, that's good. But that reverence has to also be for people that have done the work of religion to the point where like we're sitting here now with podcasts and YouTube videos and books that are translated. And this is one of a kind. This is ne never before seen in the history of the world, this kind of access to Islamic knowledge. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us that. So these people, their issue was they could not recognize who? The Prophet Sallallahu he was in their midst and they couldn't recognize him. Does that make sense? If you were there and you met him, I said, what would you do? Just melt into a puddle of happiness and tears at the same time? Like hug him, tell him all about your life? What would you do? These people sat in front of the Prophet and still had this disease in their hearts. May Allah protect us. Very, very scary. So heavy, subhanAllah. Then, وَإِذَا لَقُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا قَالُوا آمَنَّا وَإِذَا خَلَوَا إِلَىٰ شَيَاطِينِهِمْ Okay. The people get to the point where when they meet with other believers, it's kind of an extension of that, they tell them, don't doubt us, we believe. We're with you. Don't doubt us, we're, we're with you. We believe. But then when they go back to their shayateen, and this isn't talking about like shayateen, like that they're meeting with their jinn devil friends. Because there's shayateen al-jinn, but there's also shayateen al-ins. There's also like, like devilish people. There's satanic people, okay? So finally, when they go back and meet with their crew, like the destructive crew, they say, don't worry, we never meant what we said. We're, we're with you guys, right? The whole time, we're with you guys. 
Allahu yastahzi'u bihim wa yamutuhum fi That Allah Ta'ala, they try to mock, they tell their shayateen friends, we were only mocking them. Then Allah responds and says, Allah will take their mockery and throw it right back at them. And he will allow them to wander blindly in their defiance. And then he finishes by saying, What's the end conclusion of the hypocrites? The end conclusion of the hypocrites is, Allah Ta'ala says, they had guidance in their hands. No one who has iman in their heart should feel like it's a done deal. Now, at the same time, we should not walk around like we're on ice, right? We shouldn't think that we're so, because we ask Allah to make our hearts firm on iman. There's a balance, but we should never feel like it's a done deal. But Allah Ta'ala says that if a person, and he uses the word rabihat, right, for, to trade, that these people, that these people, they did, uh, they, they traded, they purchased, they literally traded something. If I took this iPod Touch, which is probably the last one Apple ever made, and I, and I well, when I bought this, it was like, I don't know, 199 okay? What did I declare about this device when I gave them my $200? What did I declare? That it was what? What value did it have? Yeah, it had the value. I said that this device is more valuable to me than this money, the $200, right? When you buy something, you're declaring that all the time. If you buy, if you purchase a sandwich for $10, hopefully fries with that, right? You are declaring that this meal is more important to me than having this cash, yes or no? Okay, so what did these people do? Allah Ta'ala says, They traded their guidance for misguidance. Whenever we choose to do something that's misguidance, we are declaring that this misguidance is more valuable to us than guidance. This guidance is backwards, it's outdated, it's not effective, I can only be patient so long, everyone else is getting ahead. You look around you and you see that people who are being dishonest or lying or cheating are moving forward in life and you're still in the same spot. And you're wondering like, is me following guidance actually gonna work? Is this actually helping me? Allah Ta'ala says that, well, if you give up that guidance and you trade it for misguidance, he says, what happens? You're not going to make any money. You're not making any profit. You gave up something and you're, you opened up the box of what you bought and there's zero inside of it. Okay? And you didn't even get guidance out of it. You can't return back to the straight path because you've given it up. Okay? So... The moral of the story here with the hypocrites is that they started with a simple statement. They started with a simple step. That's all they took, just one step. All they took was one step where they said, you know what, maybe it's not so bad if I do this deed. Maybe it's not so bad if I do this action or if I don't do this. I can hide it, no one knows, right? You called you in Allah. They try to uh, 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 deceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala will Show them, you're only deceiving yourselves. So they took that one step. And then from that step, their disease increased. And what happened? They thought all the, good, all the bad they were doing was actually good. Everyone around them was like, stop, stop. You're destroying your family. Right? You're destroying your family. Why are you doing this? You haven't talked to your mom in how long? You haven't spoken to your brother in how long? You haven't done this in how long? What are you doing? And the person says, look, I have to be me. Right? This is important for me. And you, and you look at that person and you say, Where, what are you thinking? You're literally destroying all of your friendships. Everyone who ever supported you, everyone who ever cared for you. And you're choosing 
a career, a person, something random over all of that. And they're so convinced that they're doing the right thing. It's almost like an addiction, right? An addiction, it's, it's indistinguishable. A person can't tell that they are giving up. I had friends who were addicted to substances. May Allah Ta'ala give shifat to everyone who's addicted. It's a disease. And they literally, guys, I'm telling you, when I sat with them, they spent grocery money for their kids on drugs. Grocery money. We don't look at them shamefully. It's a disease. May Allah Ta'ala give shifat. But I want you to understand, it made sense to them in that moment. It made sense to them, okay? So for the hypocrite, spiritually, the disease is, it makes complete sense. Choosing this girl over my entire family makes sense. Choosing this guy over my entire family and my entire friend and everyone who's, it makes sense. Even though in two, three years, like, I don't know what's going to happen, right? I barely even know her, barely even know him. But it makes sense right now, and I'm just going to go with it. Trust your heart. Well, if the heart is sick, don't trust your heart, right? Like, if the heart is sick, trust someone else's heart. Wallahi, that's what it is, right? And then the next step when a person has fallen off that far is then they become courageous in their ignorance. And they say that those people are foolish. They don't know anything. They don't know what real life's all about, right? And then Allah Ta'ala says, SubhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala says, look at this person. They're giving everything away. They were born reciting, ahad, right? That Allah is one. They were born reciting Bismillah. They were saying like a chill, Musa today, we were eating, I'm sorry again for the one guy here who hates my children. Uh, we were saying, uh, today I was teaching Musa, he was eating something, I said, say Bismillah. And then he said, Allahumma barik lana fi marazaktana wa kina Bismillah in the name of God. I said that last part. Because at school that's what they teach them. And I gotta be honest with you guys, like that was the happiest moment of my month. <laughs> like to hear him just say that, I'm like, and I, and I, you know, I pray, I make dua for my kids, like, oh Allah, like, just let them have Iman their whole life. That's why I named her Iman, <laughs> because I want her to never forget. I'm so afraid, knowing what I went through, knowing what we all went through, and what we're going through, I'm so afraid, I'm desperately afraid, right? And so, there are people who were born, and their parents looked at them with tears in their eyes when they made the dua before eating, and then 20 years later, that person can't even say the name Allah. That's a, that, that is a tragedy. May Allah protect us. And some of us have been there. Some of us might be there right now. It's never too late to come back. Some of us may have been there and come back. May Allah Ta'ala you know, welcome you with warmth. And Allah Ta'ala here says that if you get too far in and you trade everything away, oh, come on, now, you, now Shaykh's going to be like, now people are handing you tissue paper, right? It's, it's sweat, it's not tears. I'm, my eyes are sweating, okay? Uh, and then at the end, Allah Ta'ala says, if you get so far off and you don't turn around in time, then you're eventually going to trade everything away and you have nothing left. And he says that it'll be like the person who opens up a box, they gave away their guidance for misguidance and there's nothing there. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us amongst those who are guided. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be able to always appreciate the guidance that we have. We ask Allah Ta'ala to remove the hypocrisy from our hearts. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to surround us with good people and to allow us to be the beauty that people have within them, that we can copy that beauty. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be like the Prophet Sallallahu in our deeds, in our statements, in our actions. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the courage to follow the truth. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the strength to stand the straight path. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow our eyes to never be diverted away from Him, and that we, our hearts never be diverted away from the example of His Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu we ask Allah Ta'ala if anyone in here is going through anything significant in themselves or with their family, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give them relief. If anyone here is sick, oh Allah, we ask you to give them shifa. If anyone here has ever had someone pass away, whether it was recently or long ago, we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant that person jannah. 
And if anyone here has any internal stress or anxiety or mental ailment or difficulty, we ask Allah Ta'ala to give them the cure that they need to recover and come closer to Him. Ameen, Ameen, Ya Alameen. Barakallah feekum everybody. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Jazakumullah khairan for joining us tonight. I know we, our session was a little bit shorter than normal because we started a little bit late. Um, I do want to update everybody a little bit on the timeline for, for, for the building. As you can tell, we now have lights, which is nice. Alhamdulillah, that I can see everybody. Um, the masjid is behind that wall. The masjid, inshallah, inshallah, I need everyone to say inshallah, will be done on March 31st and will be open for Tarawih, inshallah. Uh, and of course, five daily prayers in Jummah. Um, Roots is behind this, not this wall, but the furthest wall in the corner. Uh, and the seminary, where Qadam Seminary uh, will be held, inshallah, is upstairs. Please don't go walk around. <laughs> this is just me telling you. Just use your imagination for a second. So we can't tour the building yet. Inshallah, that day will come. We have dedicated like all of our construction teams to like work on the masjid to finish it as fast as possible. What that means is that the root side of the building will add a couple weeks to the ET, uh, ETA. So it might be like by the last 10 nights. Either way, we're still going to have Roots programming. Uh, we just sat down, Safi and I sat down yesterday, Ustaz Safi and I sat down yesterday with Ustaz Fatima and we went through all the Roots programming. There's literally going to be something every single day. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff online. Inshallah, we're going to do a lot of book studies online for those of you who cannot make it in person or um, you know, don't live in Dallas. Uh, and inshallah, we're going to have something every single day, whether it's online or in person. Um, and it will be held either here or in the masjid, inshallah. So just FYI. Um, and if you're not a sustainer, now is a great time to sign up, inshallah. Give whatever you can, one, ten, a hundred thousand, whatever you can give a month. Rootsdfw.org slash sustain. Whatever you give, it helps. We always feed everyone as much as we can dinner to support everybody. What's up? You okay? Okay, we're good. All right, we always try to feed everybody as much as we can. We never charge for food. We always try to make sure that everyone's taken care of with drinks and comfortable you know, as much as we can, inshallah, and especially when the space is done, you'll see it more. And that's all run through the generous donations that each of you have. Um, we have, alhamdulillah, 1,100 monthly sustainers. And so we would really appreciate getting that number up, inshallah. Uh, but that's a lot. And so your contribution adds up. It adds up, it adds up. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to accept from us, inshallah. Okay, so now I'm like...